Good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Kurt. I'm the campus pastor here in Tunkhannock. I'm not sure how to follow up baptism. You can't do much better than that. But, um, you know, I'm so glad that you joined us today and um, you get to be a part of the third week of our series. We've talked about singleness, we've talked about dating, and today we're going to talk about marriage. But if you missed any of the previous messages, you can go back um, to bridgewater.church/messages, and you can catch any of our previous messages uh, to go ahead and get caught up. Now, <clears throat> so I was thinking back to the year 2003. My wife and I had just gotten married, and we're really excited, and we're going on our honeymoon. And at, we we leave for our honeymoon, and we get there, and then and then the next morning. You know, we, we get up, we're at Atlantic Beach, North Carolina, and we're like, yeah, we're going to go to the beach, this is going to be so fun. And we get, we get to the beach, and we go swimming. And as we were in the ocean, we're just, oh, this is really nice, oh, the waves are really small, that's cool, you know. And so we're just swimming in the ocean. And then suddenly, I, my wife uh, is a little bit past me, and she, she's out there, and she begins to struggle. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I'll just go out there and I'll, I'll grab a hold of her and I'll, I'll pull her in. So I go out there, I swim out there and I grab a hold of Amanda and I couldn't go anywhere. And I could not swim in, I could not go anywhere. And so we were both caught in the riptide. And so I, as I'm trying to like stay above the water, I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll just keep Amanda above the water. I'll just hold her up since I can't go anywhere. I'm just going to hold her up for as long as I can. And I, I began to accept that, you know, um, okay, Lord, I guess this is it. I guess we're going home. And I had this, um, you know, man just panicking. She's panicking. And then I, and I had this, like, strange calmness about me. And I'm just like, okay, Lord, and I'm, I'm just going to hold Amanda up. That's, that's all I'm going to do is hold her up. And then, um, uh, after, I, it seemed like forever, but it was probably only a few seconds, but it seemed like forever, this man starts walking into the water, and Amanda, Amanda screams out, I'm going to die! <laughs> and then this guy says, no, you're not. <laughs> and he proceeds to walk into the water, taking his time, of course, walking into the water, and then he grabs both of us and carried both of us to the shore <laughs> and dropped us off on the shore. So during that time, I took in a lot of water, swallowed a lot of water as I'm trying to keep man above the water. And then I uh, later in our honeymoon um, got a fever and got pneumonia. Um, so it was a, a fun start to our honeymoon. Um, but you know what? Our conversation this morning is about marriage. And sometimes it, it can be much like a story of drowning or trying to survive. But as husbands and wives, we have been given a God-honoring responsibility to lift up our spouse. Now, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to sort of treat this like a marriage counseling session. So we're going to lock the doors. And you can't, no, no, just kidding. 
Um, and so I'm just going to talk to you about marriage. Um, we've talked about singleness and the destination being um, godliness. We talked about the goal of dating uh, being the person that you're looking for with the goal of ultimately having Christ at the center of your life and to be serving him. So as we dive in, we're going to dive into the book of Ephesians. Um, let me give you some background. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul. And in the first three chapters of this letter, Paul gives us instruction on, on our identity and our calling in Jesus Christ. Then he transitions to chapter 4 to 6 by stating that we've been called to follow Jesus. Now walk in a way that shows that you are a follower of Jesus. So in other words, let your actions show that you follow Jesus. So we're going to take a look at chapter 5 to know how we were called to live in our marriage relationship. I'm going to go ahead and read chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who lo loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but they feed it and care for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You see, God is the author of marriage. He knows how he designed it to work, and Jesus must be the foundation of your marriage. Paul states that we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There must be a mutual submission in the marriage relationship. That word reverence comes, carries the idea of fear or respect. Your love, respect, and awe for God of the universe should compel you to submit to one another. If you want a healthy marriage, it starts by making Jesus the center of your life. So our first goal here is to honor God. Husbands, you are the head of your wife. You're the head of your family. God has placed you as the leader of your family, and he's called you to know your role and to play it well. As a husband, we're called to love our wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus loved the church so much that he sacrificially gave up his life for her. Jesus laid down his life and died for the church. 
The church is often referred to as the bride of Christ. And Jesus, the groom, laid down his life for her. Sometimes I'll hear a husband who has been giving a half-hearted effort to love his wife say things like, I did this thing or I did that thing. Isn't that enough? And the answer according to this passage is a resounding no. It's not enough. If you're sitting here today and you're, you are single, dating, or married, understand that the standard of a husband, according to the Bible, is Jesus' love for the church. Jesus' love is a self-sacrificing love. Husbands, we are called to self-sacrifice for our wives. Men, when is the last time you sacrificed for your wife? When was the last time you gave up something you wanted or desired for her? Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus literally laid down his life out of his love for you. I can tell you this. I love my wife, and when I'm walking in the spirit of God rather than my flesh, I strive to show her that love. I counsel men on how to love their wives, and can never, I can never tell a man that he's doing enough because we're imperfect people. But I strive to love my wife as Christ loves the church. I strive to keep her above the water and to lift her up. Do I fail at times? Yes. But I'll continue to strive because that is my calling as a husband. So our first goal here is to honor God. And our second goal is to die to self. I'll never forget one time I was officiating a wedding and I shared this particular passage that we're talking about today. And I saw one spouse in the crowd look over at the other spouse and nod as if to say, are you paying attention? Or, see, I told you so, right? But I want to challenge you this morning to allow God to convict your heart this morning rather than acquiring ammo that you can use on your spouse later. According to Ephesians 5, 25 to 30, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And he's responsible to set her apart by teaching and nourishing her with the word of God so that she could be holy and blameless. So, husbands, we're not only responsible for our spiritual condition, we are responsible for our wives' spiritual condition. Yep, you heard that right. All right. I, I, I'm, I'm humbled by that because I fall short all the time. But we are responsible for our spiritual condition as husbands, but we're responsible for our spiritual condition of our wives as well. So, husbands, if your wife is sinning, what do you do about it? You first check yourself. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Sometimes I'll see a husband point out the sins of his wife in order to make a case against her or blame her for the state of their marriage and not take personal responsibility. Husbands, if your wife is sinning, 
What are you doing to build her back up? What are you doing to restore her? Do you think accusations will help her? Has there been behavior of yours that she is reacting to? As husbands, we must first submit ourselves to God, repent of our own sin, and take the plank out of our own eye and follow after Christ. Then we can gently nourish our wives so that they can thrive, not criticize or tear them down so that we, so that we can feel better about ourselves. That's the definition of a bully. I can think back to arguments I had with Amanda over the, our 18 years of marriage. And yes, I'm a pastor and a counselor, but I've argued with my wife. Okay. Um, I have had to pick apart other marriages, marriage conflicts and help them understand what's going on. So why not pick apart my own for you to understand that even myself as a counselor and pastor, I fall short. I would, e I would be having an argument with my wife and begin to feel angry because she was either not understanding what I was saying um, or I was responding to her and, and making these attempts to fix her. Finally, the way I learned to respond is to step back and think. Are the next words that are going to come out of my mouth going to build my wife up or tear her down? Am I saying these words so I can win right now? So that I can feel better, so I can feel validated? Or just prove that I am right? Men, God has called you to love your wife as you love your own body. You are called to lay down your life for your wife and die to self. This quote here from Pastor Scott Lapeer, I think, says it pretty well. Wives, respond well to love, holiness, and obedience to God's word. When a husband treats his wife forgivingly, lovingly, and tenderly, he will generally receive a more forgiving, loving, and tender wife. When a husband treats his wife unforgivingly, unlovingly, and harshly, he will generally find himself with a wife who is less forgiving, loving, and tender. going on to verses 25 and 26 here in chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. To make her holy, oh, uh, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but to be holy and blameless. When you die to self, you won't do anything to harm her. Husbands are to cultivate a purity, a righteousness, and a sanctity with their wives. Guys, your wife's spiritual growth is your responsibility. But the only way you can have credibility to help her grow is if you're also growing. Verse 28 says, In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Is that not why we get into conflict in the first place? Because we're thinking of ourselves? If we're honest, we're really good at loving ourselves. Here's some examples of how we love ourselves. We eat the foods we want. We watch what we want. 
we follow our favorite sports team and even talk about our team by saying we as if we're actually on the team. My wife still doesn't understand that one. Um, we have our hobbies, we spend monies on ourselves. Just think about all the things you do for you. If you're cold, you put on a hoodie. If you're tired, you brew a cup of coffee and you, or maybe crack open a Pepsi. If you're hungry, you grab a snack. If you're bored or you want to escape, you start scrolling on your phone. Verse 29 says, After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed it and care for their body just as Christ does the church, so we are members of his body. Men, God has called you to love your wife as you love your own body. You feed and take care of yourself. You make sure that you have all that you need. Therefore, you must learn what your wife's needs are and commit to meeting those needs. You know, oftentimes, and I do this myself, is that, you know, um, this is common for a lot of guys, is we just want to fix it, you know, in that moment. Like, she's going through something, and we just, we want to fix it right then and there. And um, sometimes that's not what she needs in that moment. Um, so I'm going to share a video with you this morning to help understand that. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. Yeah, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on, Ow. if you would just- Don't! Try to see things my way. So, men fight that urge sometimes <clears throat> to fix it. I've even said to myself sometimes, okay, hmm, does she want me to fix it now or is this a listening time? And um, so you got to be in tune with her to know when's that time you just need to listen. Um, it's not about the nail. <clears throat> so, um, wives, you thought you were going to get out of this, um, but, uh, but here we go. Um, the next role is for the wife. Um, verse 22 of Ephesians 5 says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For, which, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, ladies, let's be honest here. 
I'm sure all sorts of alarm bells go off in your mind when you hear the word submit. I've seen this passage misused to demand a wife listen to her husband and do whatever he says. That's not biblical submission. A man must first submit to God, if, and if he is doing that, then his response to his wife will be loving, forgiving, and tender. He has no place demanding his wife to submit to him when he's acting sinfully. So let's look for a definition here. Submitting has the idea of ranking oneself underneath. The word submission is a military term to range troop, divi- troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. In non-military, it's a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. Just as soldiers in an army make the battle plan of their commander their own, so are you to embrace the mission, calling, and vision of your husband, making it your own. Submission is not a bad thing as we see it in Scripture. Jesus submits to the Father. If we read certain portions of John, Jesus says things like, I can only do what the Father tells me to do. I can only say what the Father tells me to say. The author of Hebrews says, The Son intercedes for us. Jesus pleads our case to the Father. And does the Father say, My way or the highway? No. The Father hears our prayers and he answers them. Then in John 14, we see the Father sending the Holy Spirit to be a helper. You see, submission is not one of authoritative rule. It's rather one of unified purpose. In verse 21, we see that submission is also a way of life for every believer. Verse 21 says that submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are all responsible for submission. But the foundation of our motivation to submit to and to love one another in marriage should not be ourselves or even for the other person. Yes, I said that. You should not even do it for the other person. When your, your motivation should come from out of a healthy fear of God, God should be the motivator for you to respond in submission and love in your marriage relationship. Jesus gives us a perfect example. 1 Peter 2.21 explains, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Our Lord Jesus suffered and died for us, giving us an example. We should follow his example and lay down our lives for each other. You might ask, well, what if my husband or wife is not a believer? 1 Corinthians 7.14 says, For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. 1 Peter 3.1 says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. The way you follow his lead can impact his life more than any sermon that we preach here at Bridgewater. You can, you can win your husband with your actions rather than your words. Being married is hard work. 
If it were easy, everyone would get married and stay married. The Bible claim, never claims that it's easy or that there's some magical formula that do this and do that and you'll have a problem-free marriage. But the Bible does give us guidance. It, give us, it gives us guidance on how to live and how to um, have a marriage God's way. Here's what the Bible does say. Number one, men, lay down your life for your wife and die to self. Number two, ladies, follow his lead and die to self. Imagine what would happen in every marriage if every husband and wife knew their roles and played it well. Ladies, is it easier or harder to follow a man who sacrificially lays down his life for you? Is it easier or harder to submit to a man who is regularly dying to self? Men, is it easier or harder to lead someone who follows your lead and willing to die to themselves? Now, we won't get into this here. There are some exceptions when it comes to uh, domestic abuse, and um, I'll have a resource on my resource page on the way out that you can pick up uh, talking about that. But the first goal in our marriage is to honor God. The second goal is to die to self. And the third goal is to be experts in forgiveness, not in each other's failures. It's amazing to me when a couple gets into an argument how quickly they can come up with all the ways the other person has wronged them. Verse 25, husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loves the church and gave his life for the church. He paid the penalty for our sin. We're to follow in his example by loving and forgiving others. Are you keeping score of your spouse's sin? Are you willing to own your own sin? As I mentioned earlier, are you willing to take the plank out of your own eye, as it says in Matthew 7, so that you can see the speck in your brother's eye? We are called to forgiveness, as Jesus tells us to forgive others as we have been forgiven. Luke 17, 3, it says that if your brother sins to rebuke him, and if he repents, to forgive him. We should cultivate an attitude of forgiveness, and be prepared to offer it. So, then, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a decision that you make that I will cancel to debt. You no longer owe me for what you did. Number two, I will not continually bring it up. And number three, when I'm reminded of it, of it again, I will choose to forgive again. Sometimes there's this perception that, oh, if I forgive once, then it's, it's not going to be brought up, and I'm never going to bring it up again. But um, if you've been in one or two arguments in the past, you may know well that it does come up again. Okay, so choosing to forgive again is something also that is expected. But what I want to do here also is qualify this with what, Forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not a license to sin. If somebody forgives you, it shouldn't be like, oh, they forgave me. Now I can continue to do it because they're going to forgive me. It's not a license to sin. And number two, it's not excusing behavior or saying it's okay. 
I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, that someone doesn't want to offer forgiveness because they don't want to excuse the behavior. It's not excusing the behavior. It's acknowledging the behavior. I have a, on my resource page on the way out, I talk about um, seeking and accepting forgiveness. So it takes you through a whole process. Um, so that's part of it as well. Not saying that it's okay. And number three, reconciliation. The goal is reconciliation, but forgiveness is not reconciliation. I mean, think about that. Um, someone uh, commits an a, a egregious sin such as adultery and then goes to their spouse and asks forgiveness and they say, oh, they say I forgive you, but then the expectation is there's just going to be reconciliation in that moment. No, that's going to take time. That's going to take a, a lot of time to heal. So forgiveness can happen, but not necessarily reconciliation. That takes time to heal. And if there's hurt that's occurred over a period of time, long periods of time, um, also reconciliation can take quite a while. So forgiveness is not necessarily recon reconciliation. In the story to begin with, I talked about trying to lift my wife up, trying to keep her out of the water, trying to keep her from drowning, keep me from drowning. But you know what? God has given us a blueprint for how our marriages are to go. He's given us a blueprint for how to live them out. And so it shouldn't have to be where we're drowning or just trying to survive. Our marriages can thrive. They truly can. And I want to give you some things this morning to help you to have your marriage thrive. The first of which is this. I want you to, whether you write it down or whether you put it in a note and your note app on your phone, Galatians 5, 16 to 26. I want you to write that down, put it in the notes in your phone, and I'd like each one here, whether you're married or not married, to read that every single morning and then gauge your relationships, gauge your marriages on whether you're doing that. It's talking about walking in the spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. So I'd encourage you to read that every morning. Now, I said this is like a marriage counseling session, so this is homework. Um, uh, Galatians 5, 16 to 26. So that's, uh, so that's one assignment, but since I only get you one time for the marriage counseling, um, I have a sheet in the back in the Welcome Center that has a whole list of books and resources for you um, for your, your marriages, and um, as well as the seeking and granting forgiveness. Um, how amazing would it be if not only we got to celebrate baptisms, but we got to see life change in, in marriages and God doing amazing work. I've seen it happen, and God is so good. Um, I thank you for this opportunity to be with you here this morning, and um, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for all this life change that you've been doing here. And God, we just thank you that you're continually working, whether we see it or not, whether we feel it or not. God, you are working. And I pray, God, that you would continue to do a great work in our lives. I pray that our marriages would be an example, that our marriages would follow after you, that would represent Christ's relationship to the church. Um, God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you, God, that you love us. 
and that you forgive us, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was getting...